0: Hey, Nitsan Mosery here, the traveling investor, and welcome to another week of the Traveling Investor Live QA show where you get to ask us questions real time and where I interview successful people who have learned how to either master their mind, body, or wallet. So welcome to another live show. It's awesome to be here. Let's uh let's remember to say hello to Master Yoda. Right. We all know what Master Yoda says. Do or do not. There is no try. So whatever it is that you want to do in life, whatever it is you want to expand and enjoy and create, well, go ahead and do it. There's no such thing as trying. And as I tell my daughters, do it. And it's okay to fail because if you fail at least you're moving forward at least you're learning you're you're growing you you figured out how something doesn't work which is always a good thing and now you can move on and figure it out and move forward so it's always good to start at at a really young age and get that and get those muscles those entrepreneurial muscles working for you and uh, and that kind of leads me into today's guest Riley you know Riley's a graduate from Western University and if I'm correct it's that's in uh, Ontario Canada uh, where he studied business and kinesiology while comp- while competing in varsity track and field so from the age of 18 to 24 he started multiple businesses including a uh, home maintenance London and RO Business Consulting, which combined surpassed over $2 million in revenue. And this is from a kid, 18, 24 years old, right? Between the ages of 18 to 24. So if an 18-year-old can put his life and move into a certain goal, into a certain you know, path, <clears throat> there's no reason why no one else can do it as well. Right. Uh, And we're going to talk to him Uh, today. You know, Riley operates his business from afar. Right. And he now focuses his career on real estate investing full time. So he's passionate about helping people get their first step in real estate investing so they can change their lives. And, and, you know, I, I it's a pleasure. Hey, Riley, you there?
1: I am. Yes. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely, my friend. Thanks for being here. I know you're super busy with your companies and whatnot. And, you know, so tell us, tell us about Riley who went to Western University. Who were you before, you know, bring us up to speed on today.
1: Who was I before? Oh man. Uh, I, yeah, I guess like growing up, like I, I grew up in a pretty rural place in Nova Scotia. Um, and, uh, know close friend group but like one of those small towns where you're driving down the road and you know everyone you know you're waving the entire time and and it was a lot of fun like for sure growing up in a rural area and at the same time there was no focus ever on like running businesses usually or growing an asset pool there was no talk of that at all um and and, you know the really the the main focus i guess on my career at that point was like okay like i'll just make a buy i'll work an hourly wage job things will be good that's what everyone else does. That's what my, my family did. That's what my my, my friends, uh, family family members, you know, had done as well. So, yeah, there was definitely a shift, I, I want to say. Um, I went to university, got into a lot of debt, as, as many do. And at that point, it, it, it became obvious that if I didn't start paying off some of this debt uh, from university, that I was going to be 35 or 40 still paying it off. And that interest is going to be at like 8%, 9%, 10%. And there's no way I'm going to get out of it. So, so you know, wh- what did I do? Well, you know, the, the first year after university, I just went home. I worked like the best paying job I could find. It was $17 an hour. That was the dream. You know, minimum wage at the time was $10 an hour. So I was happy with that. Um, that's who I was before though. It was like, that was okay. I realized that wasn't going to be for me though long-term and uh, quickly kind of changed my path into like just entrepreneurship, running businesses. And um, yeah, like we can kind of talk about that transition too, but that's kind of who I was before. Like you know, definitely wasn't focused on my career or on finances. Um, it was just about having a good time, and I think that's okay. You know, at a young mm-hmm. age in your in your teen teenage years, um, it, it shouldn't be all about growing up yet fully and and making a bunch of money. But that, you know, um, yeah, that's who I was before
0: for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, te- you know, the teens are made to have fun, right? College years are also for you know for. A nice four-year vacation, as uh, Gary V says. <laughs> but uh, you know, but but it's amazing how you know someone at the age of eighteen can actually have that foresight and to see into the future and to understand that you know what if I go down the path that I'm led to believe that this is the path, I, I, I'm not really going to go anywhere. I'm just going to go down. I'm going to sink further into my hole, right? And and you were quick to understand that, and that's what's so amazing is that even in this you know in, in this country someone so young has the ability to go out and build a life for themselves and create income, create a company, a business, and and create a lifestyle and be successful, right? That's kind of part of the American dream.
1: I agree. Yeah, I think that's that's what we tend to take for granted. I certainly did. And now knowing the power behind it, it, it I'm never going back. Yeah, never going right. back to, to working an hourly wage job. Yeah.
0: So now tell us about the transition that you made.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think it really came down to, again, like all this debt, all this pressure to pay it off. And I'm like, there's no way that this is going to work at $17 an hour. And uh, then I started becoming familiar with like the results economy and there was a mentor of mine. Um, it was in the, the, this like corporation that I was working for as well. And and they, they really shaped my mind around like, Hey, what is the results economy? Well, it's like, you're actually going to be paid what you're worth. Like, so, you know, that's kind of getting into the sales atmosphere. So I was like in a sales job and I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. Like I'm being compensated for my results. Like not, not necessarily for an hourly wage. Like someone else is not dictating how much I'm worth per hour. Mm-hmm. But I think that was the transition. I'm like starting to get compensated based on my results. And um, I'm like, well, how can I take this to uh, the next, the next level? Like, how can I really leverage things? And that really led me into like assets and like, you know owning properties and having tenants be able to pay down the mortgage and also make me money as well monthly and ultimately financial freedom you know is the goal for many people and um, that's for sure a horizon of myself that i've been working on and uh, pretty well achieved it for myself and now it's to retire my parents um and yeah so financial freedom is for sure uh, something that has been kind of that uh, north star right but uh, that was the transition it was all about like how do i get paid what i'm worth and then also, how do I really leverage things, leverage my time from what I'm paid per hour?
0: Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. So when you started learning, you know, you said you had a mentor, right, early on. Um, did you also have a well, – was that a mentor for your real estate investing? Or was that uh, – did you have a, a mentor when you started investing in real estate? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I kind of look
1: back on my mentors, mm-hmm. and I've had quite a few now, luckily. And they've each been like a great stepping stone into the next. Uh, My first one was like a track coach. So I had like a a track coach when I was in high school and Mm -hmm. she was like, and and again, I I lived in a community with like a few thousand people. Um, She was like on team Canada, like as the track coach there. So that was like my number one uh, first mentor for sure and coach. And she kind of shaped the idea of like work ethic and what that can do for you and delayed gratification and all those really great and important habits too that you need to have. Um, And and so she really set me on that path. And then my first business kind of coach or mentor uh, was uh, in this it's called student works management program basically an organization that helps like university students to run their first business so they kind of shaped a lot of my knowledge now around business and then my next mentor was in real estate his name is cory and he taught me a lot about real estate investing and i've had a few other real estate investing coaches since then is that, but... that
0: cory peterson
1: uh cory mckinnon
0: okay yeah. yeah oh mckinnon okay hmm and 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 i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off and you had and you said you had more mentors after that
1: yeah i've had a few others that have have been able to kind of teach me about about like um subdivision development and and buildings and kind of uh certain different strategies but uh, he was certainly the first real estate investing coach that set me on the path here and i i think i'll I'll always use a coach or a mentor in the future it's Mm -hmm. inevitable Mm -hmm. like it's just such a way to condense like your path you can learn from all their mistakes all their failures and um, that's why i'm happy to do the same thing today with my students
0: absolutely Absolutely. So uh, what is your niche in real estate?
1: My, yeah, my niche would be like multifamily properties and joint venturing Mm -hmm. with people Mm -hmm. um, using the burger strategy. So we refinance the property after about a year and then get them their money back and now they're in the property for none of their own money. Um, So that would be kind of the niche, like two to four units. Mm -hmm. And then we also have a portfolio of Airbnbs that we have up in like Northern Ontario and uh, yeah, with COVID they're doing actually really, really well. But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, so those are kind of the two main niches that we have
0: oh that's fantastic and um so when you go out and you um the multi you're doing that you said in ontario are you do you have any properties uh down here
1: i don't have anything in america right now mm-hmm. um actually funny enough i'm uh, i'm working with a coach that it, he he's um specifically coaching me on how to be a canadian investor in the usa so that's the next big transition here in the next mm-hmm. I would say three to four months we should own the next property. Uh, right. the first one in the in the US.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, that excited for cool. that. That's great. So what do you how how do you see the differences? Are there any differences in the way transactions are held in Canada or you know how properties are held title-wise and deeds and whatnot versus um, here in uh, the US?
1: Uh, you know, from my understanding so far, and again, I'm not an expert here, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to just speak from my level one of knowledge, but uh, in, in the States, it sounds like uh, a lot of the time, like when people invest, um, they, they set up an LLC and then they put the property in that LLC. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in Canada, like, I, I don't know the difference in terms of the pricing, but it's pretty expensive here to like set up a corporation uh, to have like the paperwork done every, every year. So it usually doesn't make sense to set up like a corp here to buy properties. So we just buy it with our own name, not with a corporation name. And yeah, so so I think that's probably the biggest difference right now that I'm, okay. I kind of understand.
0: Yeah. How do you see the uh, the Ontario market right now? Where where are you on that market cycle?
1: Yeah, we're around like year 12 on to 17. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're peaking for sure. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to say that there's going to be a crash. I, I don't believe that there's going to be call it a crash, but things are going to come down or it's at least going to plateau very soon. I would imagine in the next year and a half, two years, mm-hmm. but we're, yeah, we've been steadily increasing now for, yeah, the better half of a decade. And this last year in some markets like Toronto, kind of like the major city here in Canada, we uh, we saw over a 20% increase.
0: So oh, uh, wow. That's fantastic. pretty significant. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, that's huge. That's huge. All right. So let's let's talk about you, 18 20 to 24 year old. You started these companies, right? That that generated two million dollars in revenue. Take us take us through that. You know, um, the how you started. What were some of your pitfalls that you know you want to share with people that you know need to look out when they're creating their own companies, right? What was your motivation?
1: Yeah, like looking back, just to kind of dissect, it was about a five year period from eighteen to twenty three. Um, but yeah, like the first company there was a window cleaning company. So I did window cleaning and and Eve cleaning and pressure wash decks and just anything we could really do and get our hands on. So I started knocking on houses and, and, you know, I didn't have money for like advertisements or, or anything at all. So I just had to basically go and just knock on houses. So definitely knocked on like tens and tens of thousands of houses over the course of like two, three years. And, um, yeah, like it, it was to the point where like by year two, year three, I had knocked on some of these homes like four or five times, so people knew me by my name. They're like, "Oh, you're back!" Like, you know, I don't need my windows <laughs> clean yet, but maybe next time. Um, and and I, I think if there is one one major habit for sure, or even one like experience that I, I can reflect on in my first year running that business and knocking on these houses was just perseverance. I had never been rejected so many times in my life, um, and uh, and when you're knocking on you know a thousand doors, like maybe maybe. Fifty people or hundred people are like actually interested. If that, mm-hmm. if you're lucky, um, and so yeah, like rejection, uh, you know, definitely was was prevalent in the door knocking industry, as you can imagine, or, or business. Um, and so for me, I kind of gained like this kind of Teflon skin, you, you could say, in terms of rejection. Like I just feel like I can read, I, I can deflect, and still be satisfied with myself, even though I might be rejected. So not uh, right. take the rejection
0: me. personally. Now, pardon? You don't take the rejection personally. That's exactly it's not a personal it. Yeah. rejection. They're just yeah. saying no to the offer. So he's okay. I got to change the offer next time. Yeah. Right? And, and man,
1: was it ever awkward? I'm like 18 talking to 50 year olds and they're like telling me to get off their porch or like they're like, no, like what are you doing? Like, but then it, you know, here was the breakthrough for me. And I think this is what shifted. Um, when I started talking to like people that, you know, they had million dollar houses in the city there that I was running the business and they were super well off, like gorgeous property. And they obviously did super well for themselves. They, they acted different when i knocked on their home they were encouraging me like some of them would bring me inside of their home and like one couple actually had dinner and they're like you look hungry you've been out all day like come in and eat or like other people would give me water like it was just those individuals are the ones that i remember uh the others i just kind of felt bad for the ones that were like dissing me or like saying hey you can't you know that you're you're annoying me you know you're knocking on my home but mm-hmm. the ones that have been successful like they've been there they've done it before and uh and so i, I that stayed with me for sure because my limiting belief before that was like the rich are just evil people or they're, they're mean, Um, not at all the truth, you know, for, for the majority of the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. They, 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 like you said, they've been there. They understand the struggle. They understand the, the passion and the grind as well. So they can relate to you, right? Someone who has never been through something like that can't relate. And like, you, you know, just perfectly the way you said it, you're just bothering them in their house. It's like, well, you know, why are you here? So it's it's great that you're able to differentiate that different mindset from people and understand that, you know what, it is a mindset and it it comes from experience, it comes from hard work, it comes from, you know, failure and success and and just being in it, right? So that 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 just keeps driving you. And, and I like what you said, where you also have to grow this, this, you know, armor, this tough armor, tough skin, even when we're doing real estate, right? And we're raising capital from people. How many times we go to our investors or we talk to people and they reject us? They say, oh my God, you know, it's not working. It's not working, it's, 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 what, it's, it's me, it's me, it's me. And then you realize that, you know what? I've got a great opportunity here. If you don't wanna take advantage of it, well, that's your loss. I'm just gonna go to the next guy, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, I'd recommend to anyone, if, if you're looking to kind of get your foot in the door and get a bit of experience with like what it's like to be an entrepreneur, get into like a position where you're getting rejected a lot. Um, if, even if it's the school of hard knocks, that's what I call it. I, I really look at it now as like millionaires boot camp. Um, Cause like, yeah, like a lot of my friends that were also doing that, like have done super well for themselves. And I think there's something to be said for that rejection for sure. And being able to, like you said here, build up that thick skin and be able to take on rejection. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So now you're, you, you've, you've went out, you've, you know, been on the road to hard knocks and you've, you know, got rejected, had success, started buying real estate, and now you're in the process of giving back by helping and mentoring and coaching other people. Right.
1: That's exactly it. Yeah. So, so really, um, when I was like through the kind of going through the learning curve of how to create this real estate investing business, that I envisioned for myself and, um, I've been going to conferences and events and any meetups that I could find, like just, you know, Mm -hmm. weekend event here or webinar there. And it was obvious when I was in like larger groups and the speaker would ask, Hey, uh, who here owns real estate and like maybe 5% of people raised their, their hand. So a lot of people were there just kind of soaking it all in and through about a year and a half of going to these conferences and events, it became obvious that many people that were raising their hand over and over again, that they still hadn't bought a property. They, they were just maybe stuck. They were in paralysis analysis. They, they have been educating themselves for a long, long time and still did not buy a property. So it, for me, yeah, again, it kind of became obvious that there was a need there. There was probably you know a, a demand for someone that could help them get from zero to one. Because after they got one, it was obvious that, Hey, people just took off. They were unleashed mm-hmm. and they went from one to five or five to 50. Right. Um, and that second property is like 10 times easier than the first. So that, that's really why I put together like this program after I've, I've done quite well with real estate investing to help people go from zero to one, because mm-hmm. I think if I can get them over that hurdle and, and have them manage their first property profitably and passively, then they're going to be just, again, unleashed. And a lot of people feel stuck at the beginning, I find, and in this paralysis analysis. So mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of in my niche there. And the coaching side of things is uh, helping people buy their first income property
0: oh that's fantastic that's great and you do that in you, for canadians
1: yeah like i think everyone has one thing in common that i've worked mm-hmm. uh, i've worked with some are from the states uh, okay. a student in ireland and in, in british virgin islands and in the uk um and and it basically like they're all looking to buy their first property in canada in the next 12 months that's kind of like our main criteria and they're mm-hmm. looking to put in at least 10 hours a week uh, around educating themselves and taking action to buy that first property
0: Wow. That's fantastic. That's great. And I agree. It's always the first one, right? The first one's always the hardest, right? Yeah. How do we do it? What do we look for? Oh my God, I don't want to make a mistake, right? What if we fail? What if we lose money? And it's great to have someone uh, who's like, like you said, been there, done that, and now is taking them, you know, by the hand and saying, Hey, you know what, let me show you how to do the first one. After the first one, you know how to do it all. It's easy. And then they take off, right? That's been, um, that's a good, uh, it's a good game plan.
1: Yeah, no, it, it's worked well. We've in the last couple of months, we helped 40 people and the goal is to get to a thousand in the next five years. So that would wow. be, uh, that'd be pretty cool for me. That's the mission. Anyway, mm-hmm. thousand mm-hmm. people.
0: Yeah. Oh, very cool. Very nice. Very nice. And you're still investing in real estate as well. Yeah. So we're, we're actively taking on people that want to partner
1: with us and, and buy property. Um, we're, definitely kind of transitioning out into like the commercial space. So kind of a five or more units, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, we're, we're still kind of in the residential two to four unit property era. And yeah, so that, that's probably about 20 to 30 hours a week for me right now is just managing acquisitions and renovations and property management. Um, and yeah, and then the other kind of half of my time goes towards the coaching with my students.
0: So mm-hmm. oh, that's great. So, you know, for the people that are listening, people that are going to be listening that, uh, that want to get started in real estate? What would you say would be, you know, some of the top three to five things they need to do before getting involved in real estate? Right? Well, yeah, yeah, I think at the beginning, like I can kind of break people down into
1: three different buckets. Like, the first thing is like, you don't know what you don't know. And there's really nothing in the planet that you don't know that you don't know, because if you knew it, then you'd be in the next category that you know what you don't know. And the last one is like, you know what, you know, it's like riding a bicycle. It's natural. Um, so usually like at the beginning, uh, ignorance can be bliss. You feel like, oh, it can't be that difficult. I've had friends do this or family members. And it, it, until you, you kind of realize that there's a lot of knowledge here to, 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 to learn about. And the industry goes very, very deep with knowledge. And, and that becomes super apparent once you start educating yourself a bit. So I think that's, that's step one would be just educate yourself a bit to realize like the vast amount of knowledge that you really need to gain. You know, whether that's like listening to podcasts like this, uh, reading books, watching YouTube videos, just start kind of going in- into that full immersion state, even if it's just five, maybe 10 hours a week, you're driving in the car, you're at the gym, like l- throwing a podcast, right? It can't hurt. Um, mm-hmm. And that'll get your kind of, you know, the cogs moving where you're like starting to pick up on the lingo and the jargon, because a lot of that does get thrown around, like the Burr strategy and DTBs and all this, all the acronyms that are out there. <laughs> so start becoming familiar with with these Uh, you know, words and and the acronyms and how all this works. But you're going to become quickly like overwhelmed because there's a lot. Um, And so then it really becomes like kind of step two is getting super zeroed in and focused on one exact strategy in one specific market. Not like what I was doing at the beginning was like learning 10 strategies in 15 different markets. And if you're you're the master of all, you're the master of none. I really do believe that. And so, you know, I wasn't the dominant factor in any market at all. No one knew me for anything. So until I got like into a niche of two to four unit buildings in a specific city, um, I was, I wasn't really that well-known, but once realtors knew and mortgage brokers knew and, you know, contractors knew what I was doing and where, then I was able to build up that power team. So I'd say that's kind of that next step is building the power team, like a service circle. Um, And, and when it comes to like learning a lot of this stuff too, I think, Fast track it and hire someone like uh, I regret at the beginning, like not having hired a coach or mentor earlier. Um, and again, like I've mentioned here at the beginning, like I've used them throughout my entire life. Sometimes um, I was even unaware that I was using one, like my track coach, mm-hmm. but um, I, I think ultimately hire someone, work with someone, pay, pay a little bit of money to ultimately save yourself a ton long-term, uh, a ton of time, a ton of other mistakes and losses, probably financial losses too. Uh, so that would be my other kind of recommendation there.
0: I agree. That's, that's a great, uh, that, that's, that's very, uh, in, that's great advice because when you're, when people do start out, you know, there's so many shiny pennies, I call them shiny pennies. You know, when you see a shiny penny on the floor, Oh, look, there's a shiny penny. Oh, look, there's a shiny penny catches your eye, catches your interest. And in real estate, there's so many shiny pennies, right? You can do, Tax deeds, tax liens. You can do self storage, warehousing, office, medical, you know, residential. Two to four, fifty, a hundred, whatever it is. Right. Um, you gotta, you gotta be laser focused, right? You gotta be laser focused on your niche, on on your market as well. Um, how do you go out and find the the markets that you want to invest in?
1: Hmm. Um. Yeah. Like we're, we're certainly focused on a few different uh, factors when we're looking at a market. So I, I can kind of break it down from a 10,000 foot view, like for kind of that view looking down on all these cities and how do we pick the right one? I, you know, I make the first distinction between a value market and a vanity market. So I always work in value markets. Vanity markets kind of have this, I guess, clout, you could call it or branding to them. Um, it, it's really like, I like to think of it as like when you're, you're talking to a 13 year old girl and you're saying, "Hey, like, where do you want to grow up when you're older? Oh, New York or Paris or Toronto or wherever." <laughs> like, those are the vanity markets. There's like, there, there's a branding to it, so right. you're paying for that branding. Just like if you were going to buy a pair of Ray Bans or like really nice clothing, you're paying for that extra branding, which is good because the populations are usually larger. But again, when you're starting, that might actually not be the best way to do it. So I look at value markets. Value markets, you know, no one usually knows them uh, or, or very few people do, you don't grow up when you're younger and think, Oh, I'm going to move to that place. You know, that's usually the, the way that it works. Uh, and at the same time, like there's usually value there. So there's value being produced. Uh, there, there's, you know, strong importation or, or exportation, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's oil refineries. It's, it's whatever, you know, the, um, the forest industry, you know, there, there's, there's, there's something going on there. Uh, you know, the fishing industry, like where I was from in Nova Scotia, there's something going on there that's creating value. All right. So you want to make make sure that that's apparent. I actually look for at least fifty thousand people in a city. Um, I, I you know that's just my personal opinion, my preference. I think that that, that praises the sustainability of that city. And, and because hey, if like there's only two economic drivers in one city, and there's ten thousand people, and both of those economic drivers move out, and the population uh, you know uh, halves or, or you know goes down to a tenth of what it was what is that going to do to your occupancy and your vacancy? So I, I would really you know, strongly recommend you kind of look for cities over 50,000 people during value markets. And, um, within that city, I actually kind of look at what, what are called evergreen areas. So I, I consider that to be, you know, the areas where, Hey, if, if there were, um, people to leave the city, where would they still congregate and kind of stay to? And, and typically that's like the nicer areas. Um, you know, they're more well kept, and, and you, they can attract A++ plus plus tenants, so I can get mm-hmm. A++ plus rents. Um, those would be kind of a, a few quick distinctions that, that I look for. There, there's a couple more as well, like when you're analyzing it, looking at price per unit compared to price per one bedroom and that ratio. Um, but yeah, those would kind of be the, the, the 10,000 foot view uh, distinctions that I make with how to pick a market.
0: Ah, great, uh, great way to pick a market, right? Very nice. Um, all right, Riley. Well, hey, you know what? I, I, I appreciate it. We're, we're running a little bit uh, out of time here. Why don't you share with our, our listeners how they can get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, like I'd love to connect with your audience and anyone that has questions or or if I could give them a bit of guidance too, if, if they're looking to go from zero to one, um, you can uh, reach out to me there on my website. It's at uh, dot com, And uh, you can also message me there on Instagram or on Facebook at Riley Local investor. And uh, yeah, again, love to connect with anyone.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, Riley, thank you so much for being on the show. I know you're super busy. It was great. It was great having you. And, you know, it, really great success story. Yeah. No.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. It, it, it's been a
0: pleasure. Yeah. All right. We'll see you soon. Take care. Thank you. All right, travelers. This is uh, Nita Mozu, the traveling investor for another edition of the Traveling Investor Show. And just remember, next week, June 17th, we've got Andrea Smiley. She's the founder of Valor and Grace Literacy Cove. And also, my special offer, right? I got my Real Estate Investment Secrets ebook for only a dollar. Pick it up now. Next week, somewhere on Spaceship Earth. I'll see you then. I'm Nitsan Mosery, the traveling investor. Take care.